Hello, I'm Julian Benson from Off the PC Games End podcast. We had a couple of technical issues this week that caused us to lose the first 15 minutes of our audio. Not to worry, uh, we'll just jump in on the third news story, but you have missed out on our introductions. This week the podcast was hosted by our editor, Tim Edwards, who was joined by Steve Hogarty and Rob Zachney. Tim's the one who talks a lot, Steve's the one who isn't Tim, and Rob's the American. Uh, enjoy! What, we had some other news as well, Jules, right? Yeah, so um, uh, NVIDIA have just announced a new graphics card, which is the GTX Titan Z, and costs uh, $3,000. How much is that in um, the Queen's own pounds? About 2200 pounds. That's quite a lot of money. This must be like when, you know, when car manufacturers make prototype, like one-off models just to show how brilliant they are at making cars. It's not something that anyone's actually going to buy and put inside a computer, is it? Um, I don't know, but I really, really, really want to try it out. I want to play something like just really bad on it. <laughs> <laughs> just something like really old. Puzzle um, Quest. Get Peggle yeah, going exactly. up on it. Or, yeah, Peggle. Wait. Honestly, Peggle on this thing would be amazing. Can it be run in um, SLI? Well, I think it's actually... The, the way it works um, is actually too... GPUs bolted together, really. I don't know, but if it should, if it can, someone should. That is, that's our Everest right there. <laughs> On a more serious kind of note, do you remember they announced the um, the original Titan, and everyone's like, "Lol, that's a thousand dollar graphics card. Why are you doing that? Everyone buys two hundred dollar graphics cards." Turns out, no. Nvidia are kind of on this weird track now, where the Titan sold really well. People seem to really dig this idea that you could properly. Um, throw down a load of cash on a new piece of hardware that is big and a lot more powerful than what's out there. Um, it, they've done really well out of it. And I just think they're on this kind of comedy trail now where they're just going to keep, you know, the Titan Z is two, is essentially two Titans moulded together. And if this thing sells, they're going to go to four and then eight. And we're basically in the Gillette problem, right? Where <laughs> one Titan blade is not enough and you've got to keep adding them on until... Um, until you're essentially rubbing your fa- entire face against just one giant wall of razor. But the thing is, as, um, as well as that, it's like, is that, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of it. There was a, is, is that tactic in politics where you, if you want to get a, um, a motion through Parliament, you put out um, an extreme version which you would never actually try and push through. And there's like, okay, guys, right, once you've criticised it, we'll, uh, we'll release this, this other slightly amended but was actually the original policy. Um, like when the Titan was originally announced, it was, it was what, £800? And then, um, they yeah. released the 780, uh, which was yeah. £150 cheaper. And people was like, I'm not buying, I'm not paying £800 on a graphics card. So they bought one for 650 instead. So it's that sort of thing of like, yeah, they, I suppose they aim really high and then just release a couple under. Suddenly the Titan looks really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. Actually, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, I'm not buying the Titan Z. I guess I have to get the Titan. Well, it's how you negotiate with yourself. You know, like, well, I really wanted a powerful video card, but the Titan is $3,000. That's just irresponsible. But I'm going I'm going to save myself $2,000 and buy the $1,000 graphics <laughs> card. Yeah. If I only spend half my paycheck. Here's what I'm kind of wondering, too, though. I'm looking at a picture of this thing, and it literally does look like two graphics cards stacked on top of each other. Like, that's, that's what it is. Um and I'm kind of wondering, does some, is something like this kind of also a mission that, uh, you know, well, we've we've hit the limits of what is uh, possible with microprocessor ar- architecture. And now all we can do is Rube Goldberg together ever more elaborate configurations of the same technology 
uh, in which we can keep pretending we're making significant advances when really we're just uh, daisy chaining hardware. There's a, there is actually a lot of truth to that. Um, there's, I think the I'm probably going to get this completely wrong, so I apologize if I apologize if I do. I think the kind of the area where it becomes really hard for us to get more processors into a unit is when we reach fabs that are about eight nanometers. Um, so the kind of width between um, different microprocessor um, strands, I guess, is uh, eight nanometers. And I think there are it's either twelve or fourteen or something now. So like we get to the point where it's just too inefficient to cram electrons down these um, these tiny tubes. I remember talking to a guy in uh, Intel a little while ago about they're basically building taller chips. So it's like kind of putting three, um, they, they call them like 3D chips or 3D something. They're kind of stacking the processor units on top of each other. And it's why um, the industry went through kind of a major panic about three or four years ago where Intel kind of put their hand up and said, look, guys, we have to go through to a multi-core CPUs now. You know, we can put two processors on there, but we can't put we can't make the processors any smaller. Um, we just have to keep stacking them, which is really interesting. Um, but there's all there's also I, I'm vaguely aware of the, the the fringe of the technology of um, quantum computing and individual electrons and all of this um, weird magical stuff that is incomprehensible, but sounds like it could lead to computers with infinite computing capabilities so actually i know a little bit about that because that's really kind of uh what my partner's field is uh she she works with uh she she works she works a bit on the periphery of quantum computing and optics and uh stuff like that and i asked her about this a while back uh you know because we were talking about basically eventually we're going to run up against physical realities we try to keep moore's law going and I was like, well, what about quantum computing? Like, that's that's going to sort of be our escape from, from this trap, right? And her perspective was there, there's a couple major problems with that. Uh, one is that every computer, every, every piece of electronics is built on a binary system, you know, zero or one. And the advantage of quantum computing is that it doesn't have to be a zero or one. It's more like one, one through ten. And so every piece of data, every bit can store a lot more information on it. And that's kind of the promise in the dream. And that lets you get around a lot of things. The problem is nobody's ever programmed in a language like that. Like there's there's like there's no work done on it. So the first problem is just it's it's not like a new it's not like a new editor or a new programming language in computing. This is a complete like rethinking of how computers work. Like it's the it's the compatibility nightmare to end all compatibility nightmares. The other the other issue they're having is just right now the, the technology is still for like any sort of practical computing applications is still like twenty years away. So it's it's really it's a it's it's a really speculative technology at this point and adoption there's a lot of things that sort of argue against adoption even as it becomes more practical. Imagine as well the third problem is that it's just full of cat hair. Every time you look away there's just a new cat <laughs> appearing out of the <laughs> really obvious joke sorry yeah. uh so that that does sound really smart again rob i really like your smart rob's really good on the podcast it's really good like, yeah. it's embarrassing us we shouldn't invite <laughs> him back <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> i hate um, have to go yeah yeah <laughs> so um that's the news um things have happened now now, Julian, have you interviewed a man? I have interviewed a man. Uh, early this week, I got to meet um, Alex Mabry, who's the lead producer on Diablo 3. And uh, we chatted a bit about um, uh, Reaper of Souls, which you're going to be able to hear now. 
My name's Alex Mayberry. I'm lead game producer on Diablo 3. I've worked at Blizzard for almost 10 years now. Um, I was previously on uh, World of Warcraft. I worked on uh, Burning Crusade, Wrath of Lich King, and Part of Cataclysm. I was on Starcraft Ghost before that. You've introduced Brawling, mm -hmm. um, but that's not quite what PvP for Diablo was described as. Mm -hmm. Is Are things like Battle Arena still on the page? We or? still talk about PvP all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, we had that working. We showed it at BlizzCon. It was playable. Mm. And it was fun for a short period of time. And that was really the problem that we had with it is that team on team, um, you could jump in and have fun for an hour and then after that it got kind of monotonous. And we didn't feel that it, we didn't feel that it really, as a full-on PvP mode, was not going to make people happy um, in the long run. So we want to make sure that part of the problem is that just the inherent nature of Diablo 3 is just random number generation, right? And mm -hmm. so, but the inherent nature of PvP is balance. Everybody needs to be balanced. And so mm -hmm. we have this conflicting paradigm of random, something that's totally unbalanced by design mm -hmm. that needs to become balanced. So we are still talking about what is the right answer for PvP in Diablo. A PvP that will everyone will like and that it will have the legs to be sustainable and viable over a long period of time. Mm. Um, there's probably not a week that goes by that we're not talking about PvP. Yeah. That being said, I don't know when and if we're going to get it in. It's, it's, if we can do it and do it correctly in a way that um, is meaningful to people, then, then that's what we'll do. But we have to find it first, and it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, ending up being more difficult than I think we we first thought it was going to be. Yeah. And that was, yeah, it was, it was interesting seeing how the discussion um, before launch and after launch changed because it was the, um, the way, for instance, that PvP is being developed alongside the rest of the game. It's, it is a feature of the game. You've seen it, you've played it, and then when it mm -hmm. hit launch, it's sort of, actually, we're not going to release something which isn't working and we're not going to let it hold back the rest of the game. And so it's interesting to see how sort of at that point PvP starts to almost shear off from um, what Diablo was. Um, what's the feedback in Brawler being, Brawling been like? Um, you know, it's been fine for what it is, but people, people are asking for the larger PvP game. Mm. Um, which is funny because if you look at Diablo 2, it didn't have that larger PvP game either. Mm. You know, it just basically had open world PvP. Um, but you know the the PvP game these days is a very different thing. You know when you have competitive esports, you, know, you have games like StarCraft and League of Legends and things that are. When you say PvP, especially team PvP, it mm -hmm. has a, a a meaning to people, uh, and it comes with a certain expectation. And mm -hmm. so these are some of the things we have to factor in when developing PvP for a game like Diablo Three. We have to look at what players are going to expect versus yeah. what we can do with the game. Um, so again, it's something we want to do. It, mm -hmm. It's not like we don't want to do it. We just don't want to do it wrong. So yeah. we're gonna, and we won't put it out if we don't feel like it's 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 right. So um, we're gonna keep looking at it, and hopefully we find, hopefully we can find an approach that strikes the right balance. And so I mean, if you did release it, do you think you, you, it would have to then support or? Um, be able to be played as an eSport? Do I, I don't know that that's necessary. Yeah. Um, I, I'll bring that up just because that's kind of 
part of the baggage that yeah. comes with the word PVP. Uh, in fact, I don't think we could make it an esports just because of the nature of, of the game and the way loot drops and the way that it's built. At the same time, we don't want to have to create a sort of second version of the game. Yeah. You know, um, so we have to find a way to make it work within the game that we've made. Mm. Uh, we just have to we have to find it. Yeah, we don't anticipate. All right. Um, one of the key things which was always said about the auction house is uh, taking out the auction house wasn't really an option. Well, the being online was certainly um, necessary to run an auction house, yeah. but that wasn't the only reason to, to be online. Um, you know that you, for one, your characters are persistent. You know, if your hard drive dies or your computer's stolen, you're you're not going to lose your character. Yeah. Uh, I always get the argument that you know, well, I can't play on the laptop on the plane. It's like, yeah, but you can get off the plane in almost any city and go log into a machine and have your character ready and waiting for you. You also have all the Battle.net features and all the social features and the easy ability at patching and, and getting updates and hot fixes. Um, and besides that, I mean, honestly, uh, we built the game to be online. That was, that, that was from the beginning, and it wasn't just because of the auction house. And I know we get a lot of requests to go offline, but uh, that would come at a great cost in terms of development time and resources. Um, and that would be time and resources we would use to put into other features. Mm. And um, if you look at modern technology and broadband, um, the vast majority of people have it. And that's, we don't want to put in tons of time and resources to fix a problem that's ultimately going to go away with technology anyway. Mm. I mean, you know, there's so much, you can stream movies now, you can jump online and play games on the cloud and not even ever have to download it now. So we live in an online world now. Um, so while I, I do sympathize with people who live in, you know, parts of the world that don't, don't have great service, um, they will eventually, just because that's the way the world's going. And, um, you know, it'd be nice to be able to offer them that mode just as a, as a courtesy. Mm. But if, at this point, it's not, some, it's not something I see us going back and changing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Um, yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. That was great. He can't, he can't hear you, Julian. He's gone. He's, he's long gone. <laughs> Jules, I've got to tell you something. Right? That, that recording took place a long time ago, and you're just talking into the air. What? No, I could still hear it like it was yesterday. Well, like it was now. Like it was oh, incredibly <laughs> senile. <laughs> oh, God. Rob, you went to GDC. Yes, I Should did. We talk about that. Uh, what happened at GDC? Oh my goodness, so many things. I want to know every detail about everything. What's the best game you saw then? Uh, boy, that is. Uh, let me let me open up my notebook because I saw so many games. I actually have a hard time remembering. Uh, so. I would say maybe actually one of the most enjoyable meetings I had was one I took with Binzi, uh, Midnight City. And this was not uh, – so they're a new indie publisher. They right. were probably best known for uh, – Tim Rogers uh, is is publishing his next game through them, uh, Video okay. Ball. And this was not – so this was a meeting that I, I did not have great expectations for because I will admit – it's one of those places that is so indie hipster that I just like I I, I got very wary because I'm a profoundly unhip person, and so I was like, this is going to be a terrible meeting. But the games were <laughs> awesome, uh, right? And, and so I I played maybe the most fun I had was playing this game called uh, Crowd Racer. I don't know why it's called Crowd Racer. Sounds a little <laughs> bit bigoted to me, but we're not going to go there. But it is sort of a, it's almost like an 
Infinite Racer uh, with almost like a Mario Kart feel, uh, very much like Rainbow Road. You're just driving like on this track through space. Except the track is assembling itself around you. Like As you go through each gate, a new section of track opens up. And you, the leading player, controls where the track goes. So if you take the inside, uh, if, you take, if you go to the far right of the track as you go through a gate, uh, you will create a right turn coming up. If you go to the left, you create a left turn, that sort of thing. Um, that sounds really good. It is really cool because it may, it totally changes the dynamic of the race. And if, if Binzi had been a little better, I think we really could have seen that game design come to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> so it should be pointed out that James is, uh, is uh, uh, the silent partner in PC Games, uh, the kind of business guy. Um, he's if, um, if anyone has followed Future Publishing over the past years, you may remember him as the former editor of PC Format. Um, he's most famous within the industry for uh, walking into a glass a glass door at the do- uh, W Hotel in Los Angeles uh, in full view of uh, all of the Nintendo bosses. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of what he's famous I, for. Really. I, can, I can believe that, actually, having, having seen him go through a day. Uh, he is a bit of a disaster. The thing, is, the thing about that story is that he was actually really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did the glass shatter? <laughs> No, 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 I don't think it shattered. He, um, <laughs> just a sliding glass door. <laughs> just went straight into it, face first. Bounced off it. Um, but then proceeded to do uh, some kind of ads pitch. This is back in the um, days when he was at Future. Proceeded to do some ads pitch about something that he was trying to sell. Um, just with this kind of gl- <laughs> growing bruise on his face. Um, anyway, um, so that's the, that's the guy who's responsible for all the money on PC Games N. Um, anyway, so James was terrible at a video game. That's not surprising. Um, he, he was he was he was a bit he was a bit crap. But <laughs> the game was really really cool because the mode we were playing was sort of this. Uh, it was almost like tag, or uh, where first you race through the track and like the leading player creates a certain number of gates, and the race is over. And then you turn around and you drive back over the section you just created in reverse, and the winner of that. Uh, it, it flips again. You get a point if you win each phase. And you keep going back, and the, the track keeps getting longer and longer. The wrinkle is that your car also flies. Uh, so if you, like, Dukes of oh, Hazard. Well, I like should have brought that up earlier. Like, flying cars, I mean. Well, <laughs> I, 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 here's, here's how it works, though, and this is why I waited. So you're, you've got this track that's sort of dynamically assembled. And if you sort of Dukes of Hazard your car, like, off the edge of the track with enough speed, it actually starts to fly. Now, flying is slow, but if you've got enough momentum, it, it retains some of that, and there's these little, like, speed boosts floating up in the air that let your car move a little bit faster through the air. So the entire game, then, becomes about remembering the track well enough to know when you shouldn't even bother driving the track. You just need to jump over it. And so it's this really cool, like, it, it's... It, it feels like cheating in all the right ways. You know what I mean? Like where, haha, I'm just going to cut an entire sector from the track because I remember when I built it, it loops back all the way so that he's going on this huge endless detour and I'm just going to cut like, you know, six corners off the track. And that's kind of what this whole game's dynamic is. And it's just a total blast. That sounds awesome. What was the worst game you saw at GDC, Rob? Um, oh my god, okay, so we need we need to talk about the Focus Home presentation, because uh, I saw some good things. Uh, I, I really liked what I saw of Sherlock Holmes' Crime and Punishments. Uh, I really liked the, uh, the, the 
uh, Eugen Systems guys are creating yeah. a new uh, RTS. Yeah, they, they make the war games, game war games. games. But yeah. they've got a new one coming that's actually more of a traditional RTS called Active Aggression, uh, which is kind of a follow-on okay. from Active, uh, Active War uh, a few years ago. Oh, it's like a really, really kind of serious CNC clone. Um, but better. 70, yeah, 7 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. So yeah, so there, there was some good stuff there, uh, and I, I I really enjoyed seeing those games, and I'm be writing some of that stuff up uh, on the site. But the rest of the Focus Home presentation was a bit of a shit show, right? And it's maybe worth talking a little bit about why, uh, because you know, some some background is that I am not one of like the like. I care, like, I am a feminist, I care about social justice, but I'm not the sort of person who spends my days, like, stewing over societal iniquity. Uh, I'm privileged enough to know that occasionally I enjoy using my privilege to not care about things. This is is the nature of privilege. I can decide when I opt out and decide to just enjoy stuff uh, as a, you know, entitled uh, rich white guy. That's great. But the thing is, like... The Focus Home was uh, presentation was a real like clear like if you wanted to point to like this is why you need diversity in your teams this is why you need to think beyond like traditional audiences it was these two presentations one was called Bound by Flame and this is an Eastern European action RPG and it stars a guy who I swear to God looks exactly like Drogo in uh, Game of Thrones like it's the same dude. Uh, so, some big burly muscle guy with a sword and the entire presentation is just this dude doing burly muscle man things like destroying like zombies and like skeletons and this is the most generic looking thing I've ever seen the only female character is a sorcerer and she appears literally on the screen for 30 seconds before she has to be rescued by the main character uh, but the really painful thing is Everything else was just standard, bog-standard action RTS stuff. So, like, when you have a presentation pause and say, you know, well, and we're bringing all the great parts of action RT, uh, RPGs to you. It's going to be very authentic. Here, this is this is our talent tree. And then yeah. you, you spend ten minutes laboring over a talent tree uh, in your presentation. We're officially off the rails. Like... I like everyone in that meeting. I promise you, like, wanted to escape badly. Uh, and, and... I saw, there's nothing worse than a kind of bad video game presentation where that it's all. It's honestly, it's it's always um, kind of mid tier PC games get it so wrong, um, and usually from kind of um, from Europe where they. But the worst one I've ever been in was for a game called um, was Blackguards actually, and uh, I mean I just the kind of guy demoing it was trying to show off um, how uh, choice and consequence worked in the game and so there's like he's, he's in a very small room with five people with notepads and he's looking at us accusing me again which chest will you choose and uh, oh, there's no. three chests and he's like, um, like no one wants to interact like it's, it's a trade show I, mean, I don't really want to react I just want to get out of here and move on to the next thing I'm really tired it's Thursday afternoon just kill me um, he said, which chest? And, you know, and eventually I kind of like, oh, just the right one, whatever. And then he goes, he opens it up and he goes, you have some gold. And uh, then he shows, which, do you want to open another chest? Well, yeah, the chest. I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take the one on the left. And, oh, and more gold. And then 
just would you like the surges? Oh, well, I might as well. So I opened the surges. There's more gold. So really, you didn't have to choose uh, at all. It wasn't a choice. So, but where the, this is where it come, comes in. It's like, okay, fine. So I got gold. And, um, and then he walks we walk into the next room. And the game just kills the character. Like, the, he died because he spawned three skeletons. And the guy said, well, you, you picked up three chests. I'm like, well, that's dumb. Like, that's just really stupid. How was I meant to do that? And he said, okay, well, let's do the next uh, next bit. And so he's got like, three chests there. And I go, oh, I don't want to get any of the chests. I was getting, I was getting quite agitated <laughs> by this point. It's, it's quite a <laughs> difficult situation where someone you barely understand is putting you in this kind of asking you difficult questions about skeletons and treasure chests. So like, well, which, which, which chest do you want? I don't want to pick a chest, mate. I just, this is really hard. Like, let's move on to the next thing. And like, do you want to pick one chest? No, let's move on to the next thing. So he walks out to the next room and nothing happens. It's like, well, okay, hooray. And he said, yes, but those chests were filled with gold. Like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the point of this? Um, I didn't really yeah. like that, guys. Well, um. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, like, there, there's room for games like this, right? Like, I mean, I have nothing against action RPGs. But the thing is, if you're going to make one that really is hitting all the standard notes of the genre, maybe you want a twist that's actually interesting. Maybe you want to throw in some kind of twist, either, this, like, there's some sort of interesting story, like, character mm-hmm. or, or setting. But instead, it was just, like, burly muscle dudes and the token woman battling skeletons in a yeah. dusty plane and it was like it's like we've read conan we've seen um all the films everything is like that it's it's okay to not do that um but yeah I, I know exactly what you mean. but then it got worse the next thing was for a thing called blue estate which is a rail shooter oh now jules jules you've uh, you played this at gamescom i didn't i thought this had come out actually but yeah so um well, Jules, what did you think of, of Blue Estate? I felt so uncomfortable. Yes! Did you feel like you did not want anyone you knew to see you playing this game or standing near this game? So, when I went to play it, it was me, um, this other journalist, and, well, developers, and um, every time there was a sexist or racist joke, the developer would laugh along, re- oh, like, I, I no. either genuinely or forced, but either way, really heartily. And like, um, I just squirmed and like the, the journalist who was uh, actually playing the game could just like, she was just saying, mm, I, I can tell that some people will enjoy this. And it was just that sort of thing. You don't want to outright call it, uh, call a developer on it there and then. Um, but it was just horrible. Yeah. So Blue State, so it's an FPS, right? Um, no, it's not. It's a okay. rail shooter. The, you, okay. Like you have no FPS controls whatsoever. You're only you, the only thing you can control is the weapon cursor. That's it. And so basically, it's just it's a like it takes you on a tour around this. Well, the level they were showing us was um it was inside a casino, and uh, so it's an Asian run casino. And uh, every time it, it it takes you somewhere, there'd be racial slurs, um, women in like just bikinis and, and strippers and that's the thing who are basically just there to be shot at or saved. And it was just like, yeah. So th- this presentation started like the developers started giving us the backstory on it and the main menu screen is just on a loop and the main menu screen is a stripper grinding hard on a pole. Like she is really working for those tips tonight on an endless loop, little CG stripper, just constantly. And I'm seeing the game with um, a woman from IGN who I think must typify, like, being a good sport because, like, 
she just completely like it was like she just made a decision like just yep I'm going to treat this like every other game I'm not going to engage with this whatsoever I'm going to pretend to be really engaged with what this developer's saying and pretend there's not a stripper <laughs> rubbing her ass up and down a pole like six inches so from my right. face so I'm looking around over my shoulders like I really hope no none of my friends <laughs> see me at this game um which is not a feeling you should have at a trade show. This is maybe something you know you should consider when you bring it in. But then the developer's saying, it's also the Blue Estate comics and everything. It's based on this comic book universe. It's uh, one of the smaller imprints. And he was telling us how the main... This is a really interesting comic book universe. Um, it's a little bit satirical. And the main... It's unusual because the, one of the main characters really is a um, is woman. She's, she's a woman in a man's world. She's somehow making it work. And then he says... Unfortunately, we couldn't make the game about her because we're making a shooter. Oh, no. Yeah, so they've actually gone they out. They didn't say that. He did. They didn't, they didn't. He literally said that. I wrote it down in my notebook because I couldn't believe it had actually come out of his mouth. So they, they've literally gone out of their way to make a game where you can't have a woman starring, I guess. That's their take on it. So instead you play... Um, like a former Navy SEAL or uh, a really racist, like Italian gangster, um, but so the the gangster's racist or is like a racist stereotype. Both, really, but he's he's, okay. he's super racist and sexist. <laughs> so they got everything. Every... <laughs> the line I remember is as you mow you mow down like um, some Asian gangsters was that'll solve the the overpopulation problem. Wow. Yeah, so the, the the one I had was a strip club, of course, um, but it wasn't the same stripper as the main menu. Um, it was instead a uh, mermaid-themed uh, strip club where the the central gag of this level, I guess, was that there was a large, overweight woman in a, in a mermaid costume with gigantic breasts uh, floating helplessly around this uh, fishbowl. And that was I just uh, hilarious, I, I guess, for the developers. Uh, but then the rest of the time, you're playing... It's a rail shooter, and it's sort of fun. I was playing with a PS4 controller, so it had a little bit of, like, you're, you're not controlling with the sticks. You're actually moving the whole controller. So it feels a little bit like a light gun game. It's, it's, it's a little bit fun, but it's, like, it actually just made me think about how good, how much better the darkness was than any of this shit. Yeah. Uh, but, so this is, this is what I'm talking about, though, is, like, it left such a foul taste in my mouth. Like, after that presentation, I just, like, wanted to get the hell out of that booth and just, like, call it a day. Because it's just, like, you can only be exposed to that much cynicism before you're like, I need I need a quiet room and maybe a beer before I can process the next thing. And it was just, this couldn't happen. Like, you wouldn't have these mortifying moments. I'm not someone easily offended. But I was absolutely mortified by the end of this because you had two games in a row where really they were, such clear, they were so clearly the products of some sort of, like, airless development environment where no outside perspectives, no outside ideas are even being being heard, really. And so what you get is just this complete nutter shit. I just think like it's not it's not that not like no outside views being heard. I just think like you've just gotta be a twat to do that. Like <laughs> yeah that's just not it's not right. It's just awful. Um mm. Oh, I don't know. How terrible is that? It was. Mm. It was. Anyway. It was pretty. It was a pretty. It was the lowest moment of my show. Because I think Jules and I um, were talking about it back at uh, Gamescom. We just said, "Look, you know, 
I don't like being the guy that throws the drama grenades, right? Um, I don't want to be the one that, that kicks off all the um, whatever the latest kind of um, ridiculousness is. And um, I just had a, like a really frank conversation with um, someone involved in the game and said, "Look, you know, <clears throat> we saw it. We're just going to choose not to cover it because it just—it's not right. It's not—it's—it's it's not what we want to be." showing our readers and um, it's not something we want to promote or publish and I'd just rather because you know, <clears throat> I think the problem with many of these games is that um, when you make something that is that kind of deliberately controversial thing what you're trying to do is prod Twitter until someone breaks and goes oh, this, oh for fuck's sake and then a big thing blows up and it's all you know decrying this fuck this, or, you know, this is the wrong, and suddenly their shells absolutely shoot up. And I think there's been um, two or three cases where uh, publishers and developers have gone, right, let's make something that is going to make journalists irate. Mm. And I think this this kind of game is exactly what I'm talking about. And it's just, it's just sad. It's just really, really sad that that's the only avenue left for a company to try and, rather than making art, just making something shit. So let's move yeah, on. Here. So let's move on. Anyway, you haven't been playing any games. <laughs> I've been playing um, uh, the second half of Burial at Sea, which is really good. Uh, in in stark contrast to Burial at Sea Part One, which wasn't wasn't great. So my problem with Burial at Sea Part One was um, that they portioned out all of the storytelling. Wow, look at Rapture! Isn't it amazing and lovely? Into uh, and the and then the combat into like two separate halves. Um, literally kept in two separate buildings in in Rapture, um, and just they they suspended the the central mystery right in front of you throughout the entire two three hour DLC. So you had um, Elizabeth, who was back as this film noir character, um, which was done entirely because it was cool and not because it added anything to the game whatsoever. Um, that, that even that sort of that that theme was dropped very quickly after the first um, cutscene, um, but you would always you'd know that she knew everything about why you were back in Rapture, but you as a player couldn't just shout at her and say, "Just tell me, tell me w- what's going on, what's happening here." Uh, but in this one, you're playing as Elizabeth. You do have all the answers, um, and the mystery is held by characters that you're pursuing. So you feel a little bit more satisfied as a player when you're when you're um, being delivered this exposition because you are uncovering it through your efforts rather than eking like little nuggets of story out of this uh, uh, sidekick who who you're chasing around constantly. Uh, and they've also managed to uh, properly integrate the narrative and the combat in a way that doesn't feel contrived. Um, They've uh, Elizabeth sort of works. Um, she's more stealthy than than Booker. Uh, she uses like melee attacks. You can go through the whole thing non-lethally. They've added a 1998 mode, which uh, challenges you to do it non-lethally, um, and it just feels like a far, far more considered game. Um, to the point where, like, you'd almost think that they had intended to release both as a single mm-hmm. DLC. Uh, and that's why Burial at Sea Part 1 felt a bit rushed and a little bit hodgepodge. Yeah. But this just feels like a far more complete thing. And it's 
it's interesting being technically a rational's last game. Um, it does sort of close the um, the, the narrative loop between Infinite and and its and its DLC. Um, so I'm trying to talk around spoilers, um, but I think does it tie up Bioshock in itself? As in, uh, not just Bioshock Infinite, but Bioshock One and Two. Because I mean, it, like it, it's a throwback to obviously the subject matter is going back to Rapture. So I was wondering if it. Um... Yeah. So there is. They sort of created a universe with Bioshock Infinite. They well expanding on Rapture yeah. and turning it into a universe. Um, and this sort of, I guess it uh, it shows the connection between those two games, and has a satisfying conclusion. I mean, I think the plot got a little bit frayed and convoluted over the course of Infinite and the first DLC, or the first um, Burial at Sea. Um, but they sort of they managed to eke a really good ending out of it. I think. Rob, what have you been playing? I guess what I've been playing a lot of lately, actually, is The Secret World, of all things. Uh, and I actually kind of adore it. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's kind of the cure to a lot of the things that I think bug me about uh, MMOs in some ways. Like, yeah. there's no high fantasy bullshit in this game, which I'm just so relieved that, like, I've yet to see an elf. Um, that I, I'm just kind of thrilled to be... Well, it's, it's also cool to be playing in a setting that's actually really close to where I live right now. The, the game opens in New England uh, in, in a fishing village, and it's really, really well realized. It's like it's a recognizably a place near where I live. Uh, and the writing is just so much better and so much more personable than what I'm used to expecting from MMOs. Like, there is a certain love of language and dialect in The Secret World that actually keeps me playing it like i just want to hear i want to meet new characters i want to hear what they have to say because each of them has a, such a distinctive voice uh so it's you know it's been kind of uh this is the first mmo i've really gotten into since world of warcraft and i think it's because it is maybe the most un-world of warcraft thing i i've i've ever seen i think there's this idea that the secret world kind of flopped and uh is, is not really doing well and i don't know the like i don't know what the financial state of the company is given the fact that people are getting possibly uh, eventually arrested that's probably not a great sign for what's going down uh, in, in norway but you know from from my perspective just playing the game it's well populated and it works really really well that sounds good jules what are you playing um i've been playing a browser game called mini metro um, it's basically you, um, you're tasked as the public transport minister of this, um, small, well, uh, town modeled on London. Um, and, uh, you have to design their, uh, tube, tube network. Um, and, uh, it's surprisingly addictive. So it's basically, it's quite an abstract, um, uh, vision of, uh, tube networks. But like, uh, so you start off with like, um, uh, just this long Thames-like river, um, and three stations will have spawned. And then, um, you can draw uh, tube lines between them um, and as soon as you do that then you start getting passengers moving from one station to the next and uh, as you move through the game more tube stations um, spawn in and um, uh, so you have to start adding those into the network too and you're trying to find the best way that uh, so that people go from the most popular stations um, uh, and, and don't clog up the network um, and uh, each week you're given like an extra upgrade so you can uh, sort of add an extra rail car to the trains or um, you can enlarge one of the stations so it can hold more passengers. But basically within about three weeks of um, uh, of game time, then um, uh, it becomes almost impossible to manage the whole load of all these hundreds of passengers who are trying to travel around the network every day. 
Um, mm. But it's completely free. That sounds really good. And um, uh, it's just each week they're putting out a new alpha, which pretty much changes the game uh, entirely, which is really good fun. It'd be a good game to play in memory of Bob Crow. Yes. Yeah. That's nice. That's a nice thought. Do you know who Bob Crow is, Rob? Nope. Do you want to explain, Steve? He's the head of the transport trade unions. So he was the man who basically led all the tube driver strikes in London, anyway, um, and further abroad. I think he had probably a lot to do with general rail strikes. But he was um, a good old socialist fighting for workers' rights against... Uh, and then it, now he's dead. And a lot of right-wing politicians are um, being very praiseworthy of him now. But um, they weren't. They didn't think very highly of him when he was around. Basically, it's one of the funniest kind of backflips in uh, UK politics right now, where um, someone who is uh, always a thorn in the kind of uh, right side, and they were consistently horrific towards him. Suddenly, everyone's like, "Oh, really respectable, nice, good man, good man." Um, stood up for what he believed in, and secretly, you can kind of. Kind of holding the crossing their fingers and holding them behind the back so no one knows that they're being <laughs> such twats anyway um yeah um a little bit of uk politics here do you want to tell us about a, a, a recently died american person who might be quite interesting so you don't feel left out not really I, but i do think it's interesting that i, I think the uh, strongest comparison i could make is like the annual uh spectacle of martin luther king day uh, here in the United States, because he's become this sort of secular saint, uh, when really he was very like he had he was he was a strong critic uh, of America and actually a strong critic of, of capitalism and the way our economy operates. And now you know in in the course of remembrance, it, it's this sort of, it's sort of this thing right where you you sort of you honor the person but simultaneously defang their ideas. You know, you take a, a character who was actually really subversive in a lot of ways, and then just like sort of like whitewash away all the controversial things and just get at the most disnified possible message you can, right? So Martin Luther King, well, he just he really worked for equality, and he thought black people and white people should should have equal opportunities in America, and nobody's going to argue with that. Yeah, everyone can get behind that. And really, like toward the end of his life, he was definitely he was definitely saying, well, also the entire American economic system is morally bankrupt and is screwing over everyone, and that's <laughs> that's kind of where he was headed uh, at the end. But we don't we don't talk about that martin luther king here in america no mostly he's the cuddly saint who uh, right he he had a dream he had a dream and we won't remember too much about that dream but he had (laughs) one in the beginning yeah (laughs) tim what have you been playing Uh, um i haven't well i have i've been playing rupert's soul but i realized last week that um i spent a lot of time talking about blizzard game i'm just like i don't want to be that cliche that only talks about blizzard game so i haven't played anything this week if you had to play something in memory of Martin Luther King, um, who, what would it be? <laughs> well, I was going to say Reaper of Souls, but that sounds awful. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's difficult because he is obviously well known by his second title of The Reaper of Souls. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'd say. Nosgoth, um, maybe? Um... I don't want to make you justify any of these things. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a date that I'm not going near that question. Leave it for the comments. <laughs> so, load, loadout? I don't actually you know what, let's talk about loadout seriously, because loadout's really good. Do you guys, 
uh, kind of come across low now. It is the one with the willies. Um, right, so uh, Unreal Engine 5. Are we on 5 now or 4? I get confused. Right, coming four. up on 4. We're coming on 4. So Unreal Engine 4, they've, they've announced, and they're like, brilliant, all this wicked new technology, amazing. Where's the big um, Twitch FPS that's going to come with it? Um, and there isn't one. There's just like Unreal and Unity and everyone else are just making an engine and they're going to let everyone else show what those games are capable of, um, what those engines are capable of. And um, I got, felt a bit sad about that and I kind of looked for a Twitch FPS to play. And Loadout isn't technically that impressive or anything else. It's a um, free-to-play Twitch FPS. It looks a bit like TF2. Um, but it has a real really kind of strong sense of its own identity um it's quite a grotty dirty um uh kind of capture the flag thing um the it's free to play so microtransactions support it the most expensive thing in the game just to be absolutely clear so you get the kind of sense of where it's coming from um is uh you can take your man's trousers off and pants off as well. And so you end up with this kind of pixelated, physically modelled, swinging cock that, um, uh, that kind of bounces along. And it's like, it's big. It's um, The guy's modelled off um, this kind of a cross between Axel Rose and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And like, you know, those guys obviously had um, girth. Uh, and he's, so, but... I'm not just impressed by the penises. Um, it's actually really well made and um, quite quirky and clever um, FPS. And like its gimmick is that you can create weapons by bolting bits of things together. And um, so you can create like a healing um, sniper rifle or a rocket launcher that rockets split everywhere and then drop electric grenades. Um, it's really, really cleverly done. And um, I think it's really fun. And I think it's going to be quite successful. And I would like people to play it because I'd love to know what everyone else thinks. Um, don't play it for Martin Luther King, though. That just sounds awful. Um, but play it, play it for yourself. Um, we need to stop this podcast. <laughs> it's going to very strange places. Um, we should follow. People should follow us on Twitter um, and Facebook. We are PC Games N at PC Games N on Twitter and PC Games Network on Facebook. And um, you should also follow us on iTunes. We are on iTunes. Do you have the details for iTunes? Uh, there, there will be a link in the post, and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll put one up on Twitter again. We have RSS and everything now. It's a proper podcast, Rob. Did you enjoy coming on our podcast? Yes, absolutely. Should we do this again? We absolutely should. Do you want to have Now that we're on iTunes, yeah. we should also add, please rate and review us on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Please, please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, it's it's going to be good. Okay, all right. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye. 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 He was lovely, really nice. Um, Had a lovely hot tub. Spent the evening looking at the stars, looking at his willy.